G'day guys, Jay here with another episode of Pesty Profiles, the podcast where we put the spotlight on the best in the pest business. And joining me once again as my co-host is my breathtaking wife, the Nikki Turner. How are you, darling? Ooh, ooh, hey, hey, darling. Breathtaking. So what you're saying, I am astonishing and awe-inspiring. Is that what you're saying? I don't like you knowing these words now because then you're Googling <laughs> what the meaning of it is. <laughs> no, well, no, actually I do suppose I am um, taking your breath away sometimes. Oh, tell me about it. Not, not always in a good way. <laughs> so. Uh, alrighty. Um, and so joining us both today as our pest profile lead is David Gay from WA Gay Pest Control based in Melbourne, Victoria. How are you, David? Very good, thanks, Jay. This is Nikki. How are you, David? Very good, thanks, Nikki. I'm a bit excited to have you on. Um, I wasn't supposed to tell you this, but Jay used to, he used to have a bit of a man crush on you many years ago. I mean, David Gay way back. So <laughs> the first the first time I um I heard about you, David, was at the Adelaide conference many many years ago, and I remember Dave saying uh, Jay saying, "Oh my God, look look who's in front of us!" I said, "Who? Who's that?" He goes, "It's David Gay." I said, "Who's that?" He goes, "He's the president of AEPMA." Well, well, you've got to think about it, right? So when I first come into the industry, um, you, David, one of my trainers, so to speak, um, at um. Where was it? NMIT, Fairfield. Yep. Um, you yep. and Dr. Don were part of our sort of uh, commonly based training for um, yeah, our termite units. So, yeah, he had a bit, a, of, that was a bit of a man crush. I don't think he does now. Well, I've got a man crush on his beard. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> You're not having one as long as David's. So, yeah. Uh. I'll give you a bit of a wrap-up, but anyway, David, so so not only are you the director and technical manager of WR Gay Pest Control, but you, as Nikki sort of indicated, you were the past national president for AEMA from 2007 to 2015. Oh, yeah. It's a period of eight years. But then you were also the Victorian president um, for another nine years. Or, so 2002, 2002, 2011, I've got nodded down here. Yep. And then also you were the president of um, FAOPMA. From 2011 to 2013. Um, and just for the listeners, if those that aren't sure what FAOPMA is, it's the Federation of Asian and Oceania Pest Managers Associations. God, that's a mouthful. <laughs> yes. So, cool. So, uh, all right. So let's, knowing that, let's get into it then. So tell us a little bit about your story, David, how you actually got into pest control and, uh, and how did WR Pest Control actually start and get to where it is now? Okay. Well, it's, it's sort of its its origins are a little bit different to what it looks like now. And the business itself, well, my father, he, he sort of um, had a number of businesses um, and he fundamentally was a, a an apiarist and honey buyer and trader. Oh, wow. Um, but he was also had an engineering background. He had a, worked in engineering and had a labour hire business. And the pest control part of it came about um, largely in those early days doing uh, uh, wasp eradications for councils. So it was a very uh, seasonal business. All it did was, uh, you know, uh, wasp exterminations and, and obviously, you know, bee exterminations. Not so much bee swarm removal, but um, mainly, um, you know, extermination of bees in walls and chimneys and, so when and things you, like that. So when you say wasp, you're talking about European wasps, aren't you? Correct, yeah, European wasps. here in as prevalent back then as what they are now? Uh, they've been sort of in Melbourne. I first discovered in Melbourne kind of in the 60s, and they, they probably took um, 
a while to get a foothold was actually it was the English paper wasp that was here that was discovered first. And it's it's almost identical to the European wasp, yeah. but a slightly smaller. But it was the European wasp certainly took hold and seemed to have um, overtaken those English wasps. And you know, for most part, and you know, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them in the field. Uh, but it, 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 yeah, it, it took a while, and they, for the you know the first few years, I'm probably right up until uh, you know I'm told the 80s and the 90s, they seem to be fairly well contained within the Melbourne metro area. Yep. And then from the Melbourne metro, and then from the 90s, they really spread out across Victoria. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, it took off. So, mm. uh, so yeah, so the business was really just a, a seasonal business that provided um, you know wasp control services to rate payers via councils and, and it was very seasonal and um and and that's what it did. It didn't do any other pest control work at all. Um, okay. and and how I got involved, like my background's uh, engineering and and I sort of studied engineering and worked in industry, engineering. I was in the sort of plastics industry and the pest control and that seasonal nature of it was a little bit more like my uni job. So it was a summer job. That you know, when I was probably about, you know, eighteen. I mean, I was all, it was always around. I went out with my dad in the, you know, when I was a young guy. But um, you know, when I was maybe eighteen, nineteen, and had a had a car, you know, started off just picking up, you know, the 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 overload, helping out a few jobs on Saturday morning, and then it just kind of, yeah, you know, grew from there. And um, and 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 that was it. It was never more than than that. It was never really intended to be anything more than that. Um, Obviously, I went off and did engineering and other things and um, sort of did, you know, sort of um, uh, mathematics and, and things like that and, and, you know, always sort of came back to, you know, that pest control of that summer work really just to help out the, you know, the family business at the time over those summer seasons. Okay. And your dad's name was? So his, his name was William Robert, but he ah. was always referred to as Bob. Okay. So hence the WR. Correct. Yeah. Unlike the origins of this business, it was never um, any strategy. It was just back then, you know, company structures are, you know, not as important as what they were or what they are now. So, you know, it was just probably the name that was on the check. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, pretty, as, 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 as sophisticated as that, that's all it was. Yeah. Um, so what point did you become full-time in the business and why? Well, I worked in, in engineering um, and I sort of worked in the plastics industry and then in the, I'm not sure exactly the year, but I, I took myself off to uh, Europe and the UK, as most Aussies do, and kind of bummed around over there for a while. And when I came back, I came back in uh, in August. I remember it was the, the month was August. I came back and it was still pretty cold and um, pretty sort of, you know, sad state in Melbourne at the time. And you know, there was sort of, and it was pre the bee swarming kind of season, and I was looking for something to do. I was looking for a job in the engineering space. Uh, you know, not really finding anything that um, sort of suited my skill set. And of course, then the bees swarming season started, and I started um, trying to, you know, doing a few, you know, swarms and a few scout bee type treatments, and. Um, then kind of, you know, that rolled into summer and it was wasps and um, there was money in my pocket and, and you know, we just sort of, it just sort of went from there and, and um, I'm not sure that I, I kind of 
you know, decided this was going to be it. But the, the sort of the following winter, I remember I helped out a mate, a, a guy that I grew up with. He had a small plumbing business, and I helped him out through the the winter. Um, you know, sort of, you know, just helping him, you know, as a plumber, like you know, roof work and stuff like that. Did a few other um, jobs and, and and bits and pieces. Then it was kind of beast warming season again, and uh, it all started over. So that's really the 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 origins of it. Uh, at some point there, those first year or two, um, not sure how we kind of met, but um, met a Gordon Gordon oh, yeah. who probably a, you know was certainly a huge influence influence. Um, on us and um, probably, you know, well, certainly was a, a mentor to me in pest control. I remember going out with Gordon, you know, and, and he, you know, spraying houses and um, meeting Wendy in the office and seeing how things ran. And, you know, in those early days, Gordon would give us kind of, you know, be and wasp work on our side of town. And because we're out in the kind of sort of, you know, Eltham Greensboro area, we get termite inquiries from. The, you know, the bee and um, wasp inquiries, and particularly around the bee swarming, you know, people would get alate flights inside and think that they were bees or wasps or something and ring yeah. the council, and the council would give them our number, and of course we then give those to, to Gordon, so he he kind of probably got the, <laughs> the better end of the deal money-wise on those. But, so was Gordon uh, in Amalgamated then? Yeah, Gordon, uh, Gordon wasn't Amalgamated. Back then he was a business uh, done right, pest okay. control. Oh, yeah? Oh, wow. Uh, and he, he just... Um, you know, he he was only in his first few years of being out by himself as well. Yeah. And Gordon, you know, as you remember back in the night, well, he still is. I haven't seen him, but you know, he was a he was a big, and it was early days of the kind of the industry association gaining its momentum. And Gordon was a you know a big personality in the industry <laughs> and, a, and a real networker in the sense he kind of um, he. Uh, you know, he, he put a lot of people together and, and was a friendly competitor. And I think he was probably instrumental in creating the the, the business culture down there at the pest control industry where we do kind of get on pretty well. And as I said, I put guys like Gordon Gordon and suppliers like Jim Westhead um, and those guys have been instrumental in that, of creating that um, sort of, you know, good environment for us. Can you have a word to Jim for me? I've been I've been hassling him to get him on for a podcast, but uh, you need to need to tell him how painless it is. <laughs> he doesn't know if it's painless yet. He keeps ignoring me. Right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Keep going. Um. Yeah. So then over the and and um, you know, I'm not sure how it sort of came up, but it was you know, um, might have been a council tender that required you know, some additional pest control services and we, uh, you know, sort of, I suppose, tended for it or put a price in and, um, you know, we won that and then it, and it, then people were asking for extra services and we just kind of, um, you know, added them on and, and without any kind of structural planning or uh, designing the business or anything and it, and it, just grew from there. Uh, real estate agents in the early days too, or property managers, were, um, I suppose, you know, kind to us as well. But, you know, they picked up our name, obviously, from doing the and wasp work, and then they'd, um, you know, ring us for flea treatments. Back, back then, flea treatments over the 
Christmas period or where people were returning from Christmas holidays and coming back into houses were a big thing and um, yeah, obviously common cat flea and dog flea was a much bigger issue back then than it is now. It's virtually non-existent now. But, um, so we started doing that. So it was just this organic growth, really. So what about your dad? Did he stay still heavily involved in the business or did he just keep doing his, his bee thing? Or Well, no, not really. Like back, um, back when I came back from Europe, um, so my mum was in the business as well, and and she but and they were basically, you know, they had other business interests. Um, they had got a farm, or had or still got a farm. So they, I wouldn't say they'd retired, but they were um, spending a lot of time down the farm, and um, you know, they sort of didn't really need a business to to make money or for for money, but. You know, they just got kind of caught up in it as well and, and um, you know, unintentionally along for the ride and it, and it, it just grew from there. It's become obviously a full-time business very quickly. Okay. So it was never like a little, uh, I guess, you know, here's, a, here's, a, here's the business, son, take over. It just sort of gradually evolved and away you went. Yeah, it just gradually evolved and at some point, you know, probably in the the – late 90s early 2000s we thought oh well, we better um <laughs> go and form a you know a company and yeah uh, get some sort of shareholding and that's what we went up to see the accountant and um got the you know <laughs> what do we do <laughs> bit of sweat yeah. finances out here yeah and that's, you, know, you kind of think back. it wasn't all that long ago but you, you kind of think back now you know it really was um you know different times so um so give us a bit of an insight into WR Pest Control now, like how many staff uh, and what types of services you do now. Okay, yeah, well, we've got about 30 staff here in Melbourne, uh, and that's you know, ranging from field technician to obviously the back office support and um, frontline customer service and the like. Um, and included in that, we have a, a, a full-time mechanic and maintenance guy in-house. Uh, awesome. per- Vehicle and servicing, and and that was sort of grew really out of the mechanics, all the little mechanics, and we have all Toyotas, so they don't really need a lot of. Uh, <laughs> oh, here, anyway. we here we go. <laughs> you can you can you can you really can drive them into the ground, um, and and you know we were kind of you know obviously new vehicles we get through uh, Toyota it was just such a hassle getting vehicles serviced and getting you know things like maintenance on pumps done and so forth, and um, we effectively the little mechanic that we we're using was. You know, he was closing down, retiring from business. So we sort of bought his stuff. We bought, you know, we've got the, you know, the two-post hoist and we've got, you know, all the equipment. And then I, I've had a couple of mechanic-type handymen since. Yeah. Um, and it's just been one of those things, especially through over the COVID in the last couple of years, we've been able to, you know, maintain our fleet probably, you know, better than we would have been able to by outsourcing the work. Um, uh, you know, it's not that expensive. You certainly, you know, it's it's expense that has to be made anyway, um, and uh, yeah, so it's just an odd thing that we've we've got there, but we 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 kind of really see the value in it. Where's uh, sorry, keep going. You gone? No, no, I was just, I was just going to butt in. Um, I, I, have you finished or no? Keep going. Yeah. You're still talking about oh, mechanics. Like the, yeah, as I said, that we've got those thirty people. We're mainly focused on the commercial sector, and. Where we probably think that we're, we work quite well is in the higher compliance type commercial work where 
there's um, uh, yeah, sort of higher compliance for site inductions and uh, access to the site and the JSAs and risk assessments. And, yeah, because you and, do a lot of defence force stuff, don't you? Yeah, so we do. Well, defence, um, historically, we uh, were partnered with Transfield Services for the service delivery for Garrison in the southern region. Now, they've gone, Transfield became Vent here, and they've gone in-house, so they've got a team of pest controllers in-house for the main stuff. But we still do um, a bit of overflow work for them, stuff they can't handle. We still do the mosquito management on the service naval base and adjoining kind of inlets and um, uh, tidal areas. And so, that, and on that morning peninsula, we probably do mosquito management um, over a probably 200 square kilometres now of coastal area. Um, and mainly we've had the Beruli virus and things like that. So it's um, mainly just sort of monitoring and preventative work. Um, and the, the, the sort of the commercial that we do, we do a lot of government commercial work where the, the work is fairly basic, but the, the, the compliance is a bit complicated and, and certainly the requirement to have, you know, the same technicians attending those sites regularly because they've been inducted and they've got the appropriate passes and so forth has been something that has suited us. We've been able to do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, our sort of our domestic businesses it has... Um, I suppose over time moved away from the domestic offering. We still do domestic work, but it tends to be through existing customers and known customers or the you know the the people that we do commercial work for them. They're asking us to you know, treat their own places or a friend's place, that sort of stuff. So we we don't knock it back, but we certainly don't market into that space and, and treat it and and chase it. Okay, so with that high compliance type of work that you do. Was that a, a similar sort of thing to how the business evolved where you just sort of, I guess, stumbled along and then next thing you know, you, you found that was the pathway you went down and you sort of learned as you went along or or has that come from your engineering background? I'm just trying to... Yeah, I, I think it is very much an engineer. Like I, I still, even though I'm working in the pest control industry and I'm running a business... I know that I think like an engineer, I'm very lineal and I do approach problem solving in an engineering type fashion. And even in the early days with our ISO 9000 accreditations and things like that, like fundamentally they're kind of, I mean, they're quality systems, but they come out of engineering and, you know, um, product production and things like that. So I understood those lineal type processes and on these bigger sort of government tenders, um, Often they're, they're kind of they do have a, an engineering lineal approach to them, um, so they're not actually really asking about how we you know kill pests. They're asking what our methodologies are in our reporting systems and how we make decisions and things like that. So very um, analytical approach. So we find kind of tendering and communicating with those people. Um, it, we just seem to have found a little niche there. I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. With the ISO accreditations, uh, well, firstly, can you give us a bit of an outline what ISO accreditation or to become ISO accredited actually uh, involves? Uh, yeah, well, we're, we've had a few iterations over the years of our accreditations from early standards and we've, we've moved along up to now, obviously, the 9,000. Um, I mean, simplistically, it is documenting your your 
your processes and having a, a system of continuous improvement. So you're you know, trying to identify uh, where there's sort of shortcomings and, and putting steps in place to you know, limit or eliminate those non-conformances, as they're called. So it's really, you know, just stand back and look at it. It's we're just documenting all our, um, our processes and our workflows. Okay. Um, and what other compliances do you need or accreditations do you need to actually for that type of work? So there's certainly a lot they ask for. We don't yeah. necessarily deliver them. Like we haven't been down the path of the um, environmental um, certification. We found that um, it's a very fine line between, you know, developing these systems, you know, for, for genuine sort of business improvement and doing them just for kind of perceived marketing advantage. And we found the environmental one was uh, admirable to achieve it. We found that it, it kind of would have been um, difficult for us to, to maintain and not really, um, you know, produce an outcome that we were hoping for. Uh, yeah, we're not. We are asked for it, but it doesn't. It, it does not appear to exclude us from things either. The the ISO nine thousand we've we've added things, environmental issues and sustainability issues, into our nine thousand certification, which kind of um, satisfies the need. Okay, what's the environmental one? Oh, just things like um, you know reduction of waste. Oh, okay, um, yep. Yeah, but pretty pretty basic sort of stuff. Yeah, I thought it was in, a separate standalone accreditation. I wasn't oh, sure. Yeah, there is a separate standalone okay. for the environmental, um, and it deals with certainly with businesses are producing a lot more waste. Yep. But and in, even though we're using chemicals, they they kind of think pest control. As you know, they think pest control. Oh, you must have some nasty products on board. But um, the thing with pest control, if you're doing it right, there's virtually nothing left over. And certainly, in any other spray solutions, obviously, use rodent or rodenticides a bit of a potentially an issue, but you know, we we don't actually create a lot of waste. Yep. And certainly, we create contaminated product and uh, as in any great volume. Okay. Um, and what about HACCP accreditations? Uh, yes, we're we're currently uh, not. We've sort of let our HACCP um, kind of slide a little bit, yep. and that was mainly through the. Um, COVID and, you know, not being able to get sort of audits and things like that, not being access to sites. Uh, that is something we will, you know, just um, bit, get back on. But, it's a bit of a controversial yeah. one, that one, isn't it? It has to be accredited, isn't it? It is. Um, we do quite a lot of food um, manufacturing, certainly supply chain, like large stuff. Yeah. And the HACCP is not um, – I mean, it's nice to have, but it doesn't – doesn't restrict uh, you from being able to provide that service for that particular facility sometimes as long as you're following yeah, exactly. them. As long yeah, as you're not, following the HACCP guidelines, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we probably would, you know, we're, for most of these businesses, we are a resource in the sense that, you know, they might get yes. you know, holes or worse, you know, come down the line and make some changes. Well, we've probably already come across those changes and the clients we've got, we just implement them or, you know, just recently I was having a meeting with someone and they a new supplier standard and you know we've already implemented that on some other sites so we we're just talking to them we just do it so so we've got that trust with our um but to be fair these are bigger multinational ones we found where the HACCP um is challenged as a smaller niche um sort of supplier they're trying to get into one of the 
the big supply chains or so big and they you know they want hasap and um they're starting from scratch and um you know yeah. you sort of have to you've got to put in a lot of effort but you you, you tend that the, the the fee that you charge them is proportionate to to the size of the business and the site they've got yeah so you do the same work there's yeah, a lot of a, there's a lot of confusion around the requirement of hasap isn't it Oh, exactly. But you do, you have to jump through the same hoops for a small little biscuit manufacturer that's got three people selling into, you know, a multinational, you know, food as you do for a, you know, $300 million a year food manufacturer. It's all the same process. So we'd rather, you know, do the audits and the, uh, sit with the, and do the compliance and sit with a $300 million a year food business yep. than, the, than the quite a little one. So, yeah. All right. So, um, all right. So your sister Bronwyn. Yes. What, so she she's a part of the business. Um, what what role um, is Bronwyn? And because we don't really hear about her. No, she keeps a, a low profile. So Bronwyn is um, she's actually my, well she's my sister, but she's also she, is she my your boss. <laughs> yeah. Well, but yeah. She sometimes she's my boss. Um, she's the boss of the money, so she's the CFO in the yep. business. And obviously does the payrolls and the, the all the financial side of it. We do actually have another bookkeeper um, in house and another sort of person with the accounts, but she oversees that. And also, um, she kind of oversees the the scheduling, although she keeps her her hands off that. But often, you know, all of us in the pest control industry, we get changes, last minute changes with sort of, you know, technicians that are um, bringing sick or clients that cancel or wherever and she, you know, she'll be kind of first on deck in the morning to um, make, you know, last minute or rapid changes That's all, and optimise the schedule and, and so forth. So that's the scheduling side. Yep. Um, how she sort of came in, she was in, um, she went off to the UK as well. So she was over there for, I don't know, seven or eight years working in London and, did a degree, uni degree. I can't even tell you what it was, but <laughs> I, know, I know she's never worked in her degree. Um, and she went off over there and then she'd kind of come back for holidays and usually it'd be, she'd come back for Christmas, obviously, and she'd come back and the phones would be ringing and, you know, we'd just kind of, you know, she'd answer the phone and take orders. And, yep. and then when she came, a bit like me, when she came back from the UK, um, you know, we just needed, you know, extra hands on deck and someone answered the phones to take orders and she knew the business and um you know i don't think we even asked her you know, <laughs> she just started doing it and, and like me she's still there so do you uh, argue do you fight no not, no, not, <laughs> no not at all like we is she the older yeah. or younger sister uh she's younger oh that's yeah, why yeah okay that's um, why <laughs> no we, we kind of um we don't really you know like i've got you know what I do, I kind of handle it, you know, the the technicians on the technical side of it and the bigger kind of tenders and, you know, contracts and, and she kind of handles the money and getting paid side of it. Yep. Uh, I don't, you know, I now I, I don't even have a login for the the um, scheduling system. Um, you know, people ring me direct and say, oh, can you do me a favour? And I, I straight away go, yeah, no worries, leave it with me sort of thing. So they don't, they don't let me touch the system now because... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm too quick to say yes to people's requests. Um, so we don't really cross over in, you know, the, the, the job roles and, and um, you yeah, know, and she's, you know, the business is kind of out of size where, um, 
you know, it's not as though we're, you know, arguing over money or she's got a family, that, you know, all her kids are in high school. So obviously that takes up a lot of, you know, family time managing yep. kids and things like that. So it's, it's, you know, not like she's working nine till five or, you know, is sitting at a desk and, and um, you know, has to be there certain hours. Yeah, no, that's good. I actually, well, obviously did a bit of homework and thought, who's Bronwyn? I didn't even know who Bronwyn was. So checking yeah. out the website. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, just going back to that commercial uh, work that you do now. Even though you're a Victorian base, you actually do quite. A, you've got a few national contracts as well, haven't you? How do you go about sort of, I guess, the logistics of doing that? Um, those sort of contracts, even though you're based in Victoria, and you know, I believe some of these commercial contracts are even um, over New Zealand. Did you say? Yeah, we've got. Uh, yeah, we've got contracts in New Zealand. And in Australia, sort of as far north as old Cairns, um, Cairns and a little bit the other side of Cairns, uh, you know, Western Australia, uh, yeah, well, you know, all around Australia. Um, so how we, we kind of, I suppose, manage those, and they're not, they're not necessarily, we haven't gone out and chased national contracts. Once again, they've grown organically where we've been providing the service in Melbourne and those businesses have grown and taken us with them or... They haven't been able to get the service delivery that they've wanted from, you know, their local suppliers for whatever reason, and, and they've brought us on board. Um, how we kind, of, I suppose, fundamentally, how we look at those contracts is we make our money in Melbourne. So, providing we've got that priced well, and we can deliver the service there, the the stuff that's done interstate, we have, you know good relationships with, uh, you know, companies in all those states or wherever the work is, or hopefully we've got good relationships with them. And we don't kind of, you know, take commissions or we don't split it or, you know, whatever. Like if they do the work, whatever the, you know, agreed price is, they get that. Now, it costs us a little bit because we'll do the admin and we'll I was going to say, them. you're still doing the invoicing and everything. and Yeah, we still do that office. And, and a lot of it is about the the compliance paperwork so we'll still run the you know the compliance portals and things like that so we're you know we're absorbing the admin for those outlying work and and so we don't we don't do we don't kind of really with those you know those parties that we're dealing with um we don't get into you know um arguing about the the price or taking commissions or cuts or things and if they you know get asked to do a external spider job on a warehouse well you know if they put a price in it's accepted then they get that or it might be a netting job in an awning for birds you know it's theirs we don't we don't we don't sort of double dip on it yeah and i think that's it goes a, a long way to kind of maintaining that you know relationship with them that they don't feel as though um they're being shortchanged on the work or that they're doing it at a lower margin or something like that and in some situations and quite a number of situations really um we um, there'll be jobs where, you know, we're subsidising them. The, you know, the local price, what they need is, you know, more than what, you know, we're getting for the, the oh, work wow. in that outpost. So we'll just top it up. And But in the big scheme of things, for, you know, where, where for the work and the effort and the resources we put to it here in Melbourne, yep. we're still in front. So, so I think that, you know, when – and I've had it the other way where I've got um, – we do work for some other people that are interstate and we're doing their stuff and they kind of – and they are, you know, sort of taking a cut. Um, 
often there's just not enough left in it to be, you know. Yeah, that's, that's how it normally sort of works is, yeah, you keep your little cut and, but, yeah, the fact that you're actually getting them the whole, um, the whole price of the job, that's awesome. Yeah, and it's also when it's, when it's all running fine, there's no problems. It's when they need to go back to do a, you know, a recall service or something extra or whatever, um, it's just... It, you know, it's a lot easier to make that sometimes unreasonable request, but sometimes, you know, for the sake of maintaining um, the relationship, they have to do it. So it's a lot easier to lean on them. Yeah. Uh, when, um, how, do you you go, know, when, how do you go about finding contractors, so to speak, um, in these areas that are going to live up to, you know, your level of service that you provide? How do you go about finding these guys? <laughs> yeah, that is a... a uh, <laughs> It is a bit of a and we have gone through a few, yeah. But they haven't, um, uh, for whatever reason, like they're they're, you know, often you know, sometimes we've picked up the incumbent, so they've been the incumbent on the, the site, and it's just been an easy, smooth transition. And um, I know there's one in particular where they said, "Oh, it's great," you know. Now we get paid when we do it. Before we'd have to wait, you know, sort of, you know, we'd have to follow them up a couple of times to get paid for our work. Whereas now. You know, they, they uh, get paid. Um, some, you know, they've come across and haven't been compliant with the paperwork or whatever, and we've had to, you know, find someone else in the area. Um, and I'll ask, you know, some of the other people in Queensland, I'll say, hey, you know, who do you guys use up in Cairns? And they'll, where they, you know, and they'll put a couple of names forward. I've, you know, gone to the AEPMA website. I do prefer to use AEPMA well, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking. I just assumed that you're just getting them through APMA, but yeah, no, not, not always. As I said, the first choice would be always use the incumbent. Yep. And because um, they know the sites, and hopefully, you know, it's an easier transition. And you know, I suppose don't be don't be greedy. And you know, we'll sometimes they'll be using you know cheap bait stations, and um, you know, we'll kind of supply better qualities like Bell bait stations mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and we'll just you know cover the cost of those and they, you know, just replace theirs with those and, um, you know, it's consistent with the, you know, the rest of the sites around the country. So little, just little things. But I, I suppose, you know, to answer your question, we don't get, we don't get stuck on the money. Okay. You know, we don't have that money. Yeah. All right. So, um, well, let's talk about AEPMA. As past president, how did you get involved? Well, I think going back to in the early days, it was those um, strong peers and mentors that I had, like Gordon Gordon and Jim Westhead. There was another guy, you remember, Jay Johnny Skinner. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. You know, a bit of a rat bag, but always there to help. Um, you know, it's just – and they were very encouraging at the time and and um, getting involved. And then when I, I kind of started to go to APMA conferences, meeting other, um, you know, at the time, you know, peers, and then they became friends and um, – and, you know, guys like, you know, Malcolm Trotter from Pink in Sydney and, uh, you know, sort of the guys from, you know, TMA or tournaments like John Graham and even, you know, Shane Clark. We're about, Shane and I think we're about the same age. So yep. the early day conferences and the networking kind of within the industry, early days of working with back then Dow with, you know, early Centricon and, um, you know, meeting people through that network and, and just, I suppose, being, you know, a part of it. Like, once again, I didn't set out to be the president of AEPMA. I mean, when I first started, you know, the 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 board, you know, was, um, you know, these were sort of the big guys in the industry and um, didn't really know, you know, 
what they did, but uh, you know, guys like Roland Hovey from Amalgamated, you know, when he kind of spoke, you know, you listened, and uh, um, but, but I suppose just being, you know, those early days, just being involved and encouraged and always supported, it was just easy. You know, it was easy to do. I never felt excluded or unwanted, and and um, uh, you know, we we just sort of moved from there. All right. So you spoke about sort of, I guess, why you actually, or how you sort of got involved as president with APMA and, and even FAOPMA. Um, you know, do you do that like because you've got such a passion for the industry, or do you do it for your own personal development, or you do it? Do you do it for WR Pest Control? You know. What actually motivates you to sort of volunteer, you know, so much of your time for all these roles and for such long periods too? Yeah, look, you know, I sort of have a little bit of a different philosophy. And, like, I'm involved with a couple of other organisations like EO and YPO, which are, you know, entrepreneurial business sort of groups. So I get this – I don't have a kind of polar perspective on business. I get to associate with other businesses outside of – pest control and other networks, which I think is important because um, it just it just gives you a different perspective on things rather than just being within pest control all the time. But, you know, somebody said it to me, and I can't remember who it was, but it was with early days of the board. You know, they said with, you know, when you take on these sort of roles as you, you kind of set yourself a bit of a, a personal plan, you know, and, and what was passed on to me is to always try and get something out of it. Like when I go to a meeting, like learn something, um, get an idea. Yeah, not, not you know, necessarily get work, but just, you know, intently kind of listen for the learning in the, the process. And over the years, like the, the, the payback that I've got for being involved in these kind of far outweighs the, any expense that I've put into it. And it was, a, it was a single thing, and I went through the same process with Vasily when he was coming through. You know, you sort of look out for him, you go, well, you take this time away from your business when you're making money. And, it, and he has sort of done the same thing, you know. And sometimes that, what you're trying to get out of it, you, you, you're trying to manage people, not politically, but you're trying to manage people that you don't really have a lot of control over. Like, they're volunteers as well. So you need to articulate and sell your ideas and get them on board and kind of come to this um, consensus together. And it's, it's a skill that... that takes work and unless you put yourself out there in the environment you'll never be able to practice or learn the skill you can't really do it within your own business but you can bring it back to your business and apply it to your people so but the thing for me has been that learning and um developing your skill and once again i had this conversation with Vasily, like for both of us that um come from not necessarily well, we're in pest control but it was now chosen or, or but the opportunity to kind of do public speaking which everybody is terrified of um you've got to make the opportunity and I, you know looking at the last conference with from where i look at the silly where he first started in the industry to now you know up there on the stage he was just comfortable up there he delivered great value he was a good speaker you know and i mean i look at him and it's like it's just awesome you know like the where he's come from and apma has given him that 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 kind of skill is they've given him the stage time and i, I just i just sort of say proud of him that he's kind of you know can do that <laughs> and, uh, you definitely grow yeah, as a person that's for sure yeah that's and you've got to be out and even with myself like i said you know my background like i did a you know well bachelor science mathematics and statistics i mean i can't help my kids with their math homework but you know like i've got this bit of paper <laughs> but like i'm very linear very maths english was not my you know that was not my forte maths was maths and engineering and i'd uh you know, being 
sort of with AP and A being sort of accountable where I'd have to write an article you know, each month for those pest talks and I'd have to prepare for a board meeting and um, it kept me accountable and it, it made me learn and practice how to do stuff and and I know that I then take that back to my business and I, you know, I can write, you know, I would write better than if I didn't have that opportunity or I can articulate an idea better than if I didn't have that opportunity all the time. So for me, it's been, that's been the personal development side, it's been very, very important. Um, but I believed in the, the industry too and where we've come from, um, you know, the the subtle where we've been able to steer the industry when i got involved in it was obviously very termite centric like there was never any discussion on pretty much anything other than termites and australian standards i'm not saying that was wrong it was just that was at the time and you know we're a much broader industry now and you know the conversations that we're having at board level um you know we virtually don't talk about termites but you know now we're sort of you know talking about um you know, governance and diversity and, you know, like, like what a modern organisation and board should be talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, and I agree with you about the personal development. I remember the first time I had to get up and, and talk at one of the conferences and uh, I just wanted to vomit. <laughs> I'm going, I can't do this. I can't do it. And, yeah, I've, I've kind of gotten used to it a little bit now. And um, you definitely, yeah, you definitely grow as a person. So I, I agree with everything you say there. Um, but I want to talk about something I think is very big for our industry. Um, it was 2018, I believe it was, that you were um, you got an award, an award, an order for Australia. Firstly, yes. I guess, yeah, tell us, tell us what an order of Australia actually is and how and why you were awarded it. Um, Good question, because I still don't sort of... Really <laughs> I think this is actually it. pretty big, so... Right. Yeah, sunk in. Yeah, how the hell um, does a pest controller win an order of Australia? That's what I want to know. You have to get nominated. So, obviously, he was nominated, which is awesome. <laughs> yes, I, I was nominated. And so, the, the award was in the general division for business, and, and it's generally awarded for um, sort of high achievement or service. So, it was probably... And I obviously haven't seen the... Uh, the letter of recommendation for exactly what it was, but it was for the services to the pest control industry, yep. largely. And um, so it was quite humbling um, when I got it. And I, and I almost didn't get it because what happened was I, I get a lot of rubbish, you know, sent to me like marketing stuff. And you, know, <laughs> you like, went to flick it, didn't you? Oh. This, is, this is a funny story. I'll tell you something. So, <laughs> and and it kind of, I opened it. And the only reason I didn't bin it, it was just kind of on this um, exceptionally good quality paper. Um, yep. <laughs> and like I fundamentally, like I love marketing, you know, like I kind of like and, you know, and and I'll, I'll kind of keep various bits of marketing that I like, you know, for either ideas or inspiration. And I was always liked, you know, marketing. I always thought marketing that was, you know, where people spent a little bit extra on the quality of the paper or the, you know, the whole thing were yep. always going to get a bit more cut through than something that had been done cheaply. And I thought, oh, whatever. I didn't even read it, really. I did might have read it. I can't remember. <laughs> like, and I just kind of put it in, you know, subconsciously. You know, you get those uh, forms for you, be put on a business register and then the invoice comes or whatever. I just put it into kind of that category of just yep. a bit of step. And then it sat in my, just on the desk in my pile for a few weeks and it just was at the bottom. And every now and again, it'd, you know, pop up and I'd fiddle the paper and it just remind, you know, it was real crisp, heavy paper. Yep. Uh, 
And I was sitting there one day and I was talking to Stephen, you know, as I talk to him pretty regularly. And I said, I've got this, you know, and I was a bit embarrassed, you know, like, because I didn't really know. I didn't want to sort of, uh, I thought, you know, I didn't want to feel, I, I just didn't know. And, and and it just didn't even occur to me. Like it was, I don't know, anyone that ever, well, the people I knew that had Order of Australia's were, you know, came out of medical, they'd done, you know, massive things. Yeah. Um, so it just, it just wasn't I said, Stephen, I got this thing, you know, from Border Australia. And I said, like, I don't know if it's a scam or not. <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah. oh. And, and, of course, Stephen knew about it, right? But I didn't know that. No one had sort of talked because you've got to keep it all secret and everything like this. So Stephen obviously knew about it because they'd interviewed him or he'd done a response or they checked or something. And, he, and it was this letter to kind of, you know, do you accept your order? And you have to respond. Yep. And Stuart goes, oh, you know, send me a copy of it. <laughs> so I think I just took a picture with my phone and sent it through and he reads back. He goes, yep, it's real. <laughs> so yep. It's very real. So, <laughs> oh, shit, you know, and I had to respond. And I, I kind of literally left it at the last, you know, very last minute, like last few days to respond to accept the award. And, and I did. And I'm sort of obviously glad I did respond. But it nearly, it nearly, I came very, very close to not ever getting one simply because of, um, um, you thought yeah. it was a, a so, so you were thinking it was one of those scam. letters letters you get where you go, long lost la- relative has passed away and left their inheritance to you. We just <laughs> yeah. need, we just need your bank details so we can transfer it into or something <laughs> yeah, like that. In that, you know, and as I said, I get those things. We all get those. Or it'd be the big one is you know you're on some business you know register or business listing or something or other or business you know. So, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, and I, and I suppose it was a kind of a result of just being, you know, very busy and having a lot of balls in the air that I, I kind of probably don't, you know, read everything that I should or read it as well as I should. But um, I said I was very lucky in that regard. And then, you know, I sort of said, uh, I didn't really hear much. And then obviously the official um, uh, request came and the, the invite to Government House and the, the ceremony and the award and, and so forth from there. So, um, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's pretty big. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I kind of still um, uh, a little bit shy about it. I mean, certainly my father and family, um, you know, kind of were, 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 you know, very pleased. But, um, and I, you know, I, so I I still, you know, even now I don't think it's quite sort of really sunk in. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's great. And um, I remember having a conversation with Vasily about it because I actually didn't know much about it, to be honest. And um, I think he actually had a tear when you won that, to be honest. Yeah. Even he was that proud. So Yeah, I mean, look, it's – I mean, I know, it sounds like we're sort of taking the piss here a little bit. No, but we're not. I, I'm actually – yeah, we're yeah, very serious. Like, if you think about it, you've been involved with Ayat Menia for, like, 20 years? Yeah, yeah probably more. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's a massive commitment, you know, for our industry. That's a massive commitment. Yeah, but the strange thing is, Jay, I don't see it that way. Like, I kind of – I still think that – I've got so much out of it. Yeah. Uh, and it hasn't been, it's never been hard. Like it's been, you know, I've had some hugely challenging uh, situations. And I mean, even when I got involved, when, you know, we sort of had this, um, uh, uh, you know, prior to Stephen, you know, we were kind of, uh, we are in tatters, really. And to kind of uh, steer a business, and, and obviously Stephen Ware being very astute in that area, being, you know, um, the right guy then and the right guy now, to, to steer us out of that and learning from Stephen and, um, you know, I kind of, even though it's, a, you know, I treated that like my business at the time and the learnings that I got from that 
um, were just invaluable. Um, and, you know, and as, as stressful as it was, probably less stressful than if it was actually really my business and my money in a way. So I got all the upside of the learning without the, you know, the real risk. Well, yeah. you know, I, I actually do find you very humble. I think, what, what did he, what did you say to you, Jay? Oh, what do you want to talk to me for? I'm just boring. <laughs> I'm yeah, not interested. I'm not that exciting. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So let's tell us. Let's seeing as you're not so exciting, David. Let's talk about WA pest control. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, you know, y- other unique things that you guys do within you know WA pest control that makes you guys stand out? You know, what do you guys do well? I mean, I know there's a commercial side of things and that high compliance side of things, but anything else that you guys do really, really, really well and make you guys stand out? Um, look, I think we're, um, you know, we, we, we kind of fly under the radar a little bit. We, we try and do, uh, you know, we try and, um, you know, deliver value. So we, we try and do what we say we're going to do. And in the say the commercial sector is being there kind of on time, like, you know, if it's a monthly service or whatever the service frequency is, is, you know, meeting that service commitment, spending the right amount of time on those jobs, you know, having the, the paperwork. So basically, in a way, it's basically doing all the basic stuff. Um, we don't, um, you know, I suppose make, you know, big claims as to, you know, what we can do. We, we I think, you know, we just try and, we just try and do it. Um, you know, our, I suppose the, you know, the people we have, I'm, you know, one of my big guiding values is punctuality. Yeah. And. One and, of ours, actually, we, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I've proved this time and time again, and even in pest control, the best technique, the best equipment, the best trained tech, um, you know, if he's late, right, the chances of it actually working or creating customer satisfaction is greatly diminished. You know, whereas yep. a, a guy that is on time, bright and bubbly, you know, may not necessarily have the, you know, the experience of someone else, but he, he kind of meets their need, delivers valuable in a, you know, a friendly way, um, you know, potentially is more successful in the sense that they're probably more likely to reuse his services, they're being our services and you get that repeat business, they're probably more likely to listen to him when he's kind of going through what's likely to happen and what the shortcomings might be. And when it does happen, you know, that they do see a spider or some ants pop up somewhere, they say, oh, you know, the technician said that might happen and not to worry about it because we've probably got whatever the, you know, the spiel is. Yeah. Um, if he's on time, it's a simple thing. Same as a termite a quote or a termite quote. Like, I mean, you know, in Mal- like all you have to do is be on time. But if you're not on time, if you're late, or technicians think, "Oh, I've got a mobile phone. I'll ring them and tell them I'm going to be late. It'll be fine." Well, it's not fine. You know, the people might say, "Oh no, that's okay," because they've got no choice. But um, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage straight away. So, as I said my key, you know, as I said, value was is punctuality. Um, yeah, I actually agree. And one of the, one of my biggest things I push is um, for my office staff is when an email comes in, I expect them to answer it within 10 minutes. Oh, you're so anal about I, that. I'm very anal about that. And I go, even if you can't attend to it or, you know, do what they're asking, at least you say received with thanks. Let them know we've received the email and we are attending to it. But I'm, yeah. Yeah, nothing grinds you more than seeing an email just sitting there. If it sits there and it's there for a few hours, I'm on the phone. <laughs> 
why aren't you answering the emails? So yeah, I'm looking, we, we do. We live in a very, very fast-paced world now where people all, you know, they expect, um, you know, instant responses. Yep. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my, my best mate down the road, like he was at the family with a family of plumbers. And um, I remember, you know, I'd go down there and you'd sort of go for your after-school play and sometimes you'd stay for dinner or swim, you know, in the summer when it was hot and that. I remember his dad had come in and um, in his, you know, his plumber's bib and blue bib and brace overalls and come in and, you know, take a bit like a long neck beer out of the fridge, drink that, <laughs> yeah. kind of settle down. And then, and then, and then he watched the news, you know, this was the routine and it was probably, all, you know, the routine, but he watched the news, you know, you have to be really quiet. You couldn't be, you know, while he was watching the news and then he'd kind of go to the hall and he'd, he'd make the phone calls, you know, that his wife yep. had taken through the day of all the clients and he'd make his appointments for the next day. Yep. And I mean, and people would, you know, you would wait and that was the, you know, now, you know, like <laughs> the, the, the cycle is just so fast that even that email at, at uh, you know, 10 minutes or uh-huh. if it's an inquiry off your website, I mean, if it, you take 10 minutes to get back to a website inquiry, it probably already booked the job with someone else. Yeah, exactly. It, if you it, don't answer the phone or you yeah. don't answer straight away, it's yeah. gone. So, so it's and, – and, but we also, our clients expect that, but, but we actually do as well. Like if you, you know, I look at myself, I expect – um, you know, um, I expect responses. I, you know, I catch myself doing it all the time. If someone doesn't answer their phone or I'm ringing and it goes through to a menu phone, you know, dial one for this, dial two for that, you know, I'll just, you know, someone should hang up and ring the next number. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I'm, I, you know, I'm part of it as well, but it's just the, it's the world we live in. Exactly. So where to, where to from here? Um, with the business, like I, you know, um, like I, I see, Business is business, you know. It's not just, and I, I kind of like business. I like the levers of business, and fundamentally, I break this business or pest control down, and I make it similar to a lot of business. That really, what we do is, as a business like ours, where we're not necessarily selling a highly technical solution, um, we sell time and we manage people. That's that's what my day is, and yep. the more of those time slots that line up in a orderly fashion close together that the technicians could get to um fundamentally the more money we make and but it's not about money it's well it is about money but <laughs> i i i like to say it's about money yeah, sometimes it's all about the money <laughs> but the management of the people is you've got to look at their day and say can they do that you know like is that are we not pushing them too hard or is that within their capabilities and you know you do have to um be um you know mindful of their workload and the, the the types of jobs that they're doing and you know within our commercial sector like we do some jobs that are kind of can be draining like we do prisons and we do some nursing homes and we do some kind of aged care that are you know really end of the line aged care and um you know some of them can be um draining you know just uh, being in there and yep. um so you know we, we you know you have to be dynamic in there how you what sort of workload you're putting on, the balance of the work, and uh, and that's as a bigger or having more technicians managing more people in the field, like that's very important to us. Getting getting it, you know, that balance and, and I suppose fairness, you know, um, across the board with the guys. Um, so I see, but fundamentally, you know, that's what I do: sell time management, and that's kind of probably what we're good at now, you know, because we know what we're doing. So, you know, the 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 conversation about what to me decide works better or technique 
whilst I wouldn't say they're necessarily unimportant, they're not the conversations we're having anymore within the business. They're not about the technical side of it or um, even marketing. You know, we've got that pretty much down pat. We've got our avatar of our client and, uh, you know, and the avatar that the client sort of suits our team and the way that we do things as well. Not all clients are going to suit us. So, you know, we've got that down pat, but it's just this constant management of people. Um, so I see in that, I see a huge amount of opportunity. I, I see very optimistic in um, our, I suppose, future as a business, the opportunities are there, um, you know, what we can do, you know, where we can go. So you keep you doing know. what you're good at. And just keep, yeah, that's it. Keep, as, as, keep doing it. So you have keep, you have changed to minor size now, but haven't you, David? Because I know when uh, I because I know when I did my training <laughs> with you and Don, you and Don were having this this discussion about. I think back then you were using chlorpyrifos and aminoclopride. Yep. <laughs> have you changed? Oh, I no. <laughs> other than other than I don't use chlorpyrifos, but no, uh, we're uh, big. big uh, uh, Big fans of even the Cloprid for the for the Melbourne that, market. I find That's that interesting. Um, yeah, look, it's um, I you know, survived the test of time. Yeah. Um, the Melbourne market on that Coptermis franchise species that we're we're dealing with, um, seeing it, you know, kind of do amazing things. Um, more probably more often than we've seen it fail when it should have worked. Okay. Mm. All right. If you had the opportunity to do it all again, what would you do differently? Um. Probably um, not use aminoclopride. No, no, not use clopyrifos. Yeah, probably. I, I would say probably uh, shift to imidacloprid away from clopyrifos faster than we did. Um, we're a little bit, you know, late to the party on that, but um, you know, it was working. So why change? Um, no, I think like overall for the company, I, I think at the time again, we probably uh, grow quick. You know, like scale up quicker than what we did we've always been pretty conservative um and i found that you know in business you know a really difficult size for us was maybe five six technicians in the field you know we hovered around there for a long time like was sub 10 we found that was a difficult spot because if someone wasn't performing and you know, everyone felt it um if someone left or was sick you know everybody felt it um you know but when we got over that that and we got sort of scaled different problems came up but certainly the management of people and the technician and you know uh, attendance and things like that um, became less of a, a challenge for us especially in a kind of a reactive sort of business so probably scale faster than what we we did would be one of the things okay um we all have at least one funny story while working as a pesty what's one of yours and i'm assuming i'm sure i'm assuming tongue tied here uh you know work at doing some prison work there's bound to be some interesting stuff there. Yeah, like, um, I, yeah, pest control's full of funny stories. And yeah. kind of, uh, you know, one of the things, I mean, there's funny stories pretty much every day between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. why a technician is late for work or late for a job or why a client, you know, has to move an appointment or whatever. They're all, you know, they're all funny stories now. <laughs> um, well, you know, over the years, um, you know, been, as I said, it, it, it's been, um, you know, pest control's sort of given a lot. Like, it's not necessarily sometimes the stories, but it's the, the things you get to see, the homes that you're invited into, or you're doing some work there, but, you you know, you are invited into these homes of, you know, Sometimes they forget people. that you're, they've invited you and you yeah. turn up. Yes, 
um, yeah, you know, prominent people or homes or, you know, people in the public eye or, you know, some of the commercial facilities we do and um, that, you you know, you get to see. So I think I'm not necessarily, they're not funny stories, but I think, you know, over the years, met and even our, all our technicians, you know, you get to meet some, like, amazing people and see some amazing stuff um, and have some amazing experiences. I know we do work on offshore oil platforms. So, oh, wow. you know, the first, yeah, first time you fly out from Longford, in the helicopters there and you're in a novice vest type thing so they, they kind of you know keep a hand on you so that you don't you know fall off. do the fall <laughs> off or fall off yeah so basically go we're not supposed to you know but then and um you know it's kind of and you're out on those and you think oh wow you know like uh that was this you know um you know uh where's thin after all but um you know just the the you know the experience yeah. yeah and even within Thawetma, you know, to travel to Asia and to be in China and then be with Phantom Hire, like some of the, the you know, the hospitality that's been shown and the things that, and the places that I've been taken to in China and the dinners that I've had, um, it just, you know, it's been an amazing privilege. So, um, you know, and it's still, you know, I'm still part of it. It's still going. Yeah, because you're going to um, the conference in two months. Yeah, yeah, you're going to Fatma, isn't it? Yeah. Is it in yeah, Japan? I'll, yeah, I'll be there in Japan. Yes, oh, awesome. The you know that Japanese conference over the years, Japan has been you know a great supporter of Fawetma and a great supporter of uh, AEPMA and um, uh, um, Juni, the who was a, um, a previous president and Japanese Pest Control Association. As I said he's been you know a great sort of uh, mentor and peer over the years, and now. I've got Taro, um, who, you know, yep. is going to become a great friend as well. So, you know, they're, the Japanese are good friends of ours in that regard. Yeah, I'm still trying to work out how I can get over there in a few months. <laughs> I'm just looking at my, my calendar. He's no, booking up. No, <laughs> I think I might You don't have to come. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, all right, David, I'm sure we could actually chat all day, actually, about yeah. your experiences, um, but we better we better get a move on. So it's gone to that time of the episode where we do our rapid-fire questions. This is where we just get to know you just that one last bit. Okay. All right. You're a beer or wine type of person after work? Vodka. Vodka. How do you have your vodka? That's straight. Straight? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you're a morning or a night person? Uh, definitely morning. All right. Uh, AFL or NRL, being a Victorian, oh. you've got to... Yeah, AFL. AFL. Hawthorne. Yep. Yep. Hawthorne. Okay. Yeah, Hawthorne. Yeah. You're a city or a country boy? Uh, city boy. Here you go. Boobs or bum? I'd say brains. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was being Inside safe joke. There. Inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, Favourite termite bait? Uh, you know, um, Xterra works, but I'm, you know, um, I like... Centricon always active um, over the years, you know. Even though Centricon hasn't really worked that well for us down here, I kind of still fundamentally like the concept. Yep. Uh, Favourite manufacturer? Uh, uh, Bayer, hands down. Uh, Mini clay bread. <laughs> yeah. I, look, you know, I kind of say, you know, I'm going to plug Bayer here. I think historically, no matter who's been at in charge and who our rep has been for us and how I see Bayer, we're a company that has kind of, you know, um, sort of, you know, under-promised and over-delivered. And, um, you know, they, yeah, they've, been, they've been good to us and good to the industry. Uh, uh, Favourite rep? Uh, Sam Wood, I reckon, from Bell Labs. Okay. 
Oh, I thought Jim Westhead was going to get in there. Uh, Probably. Bayer. You know, if you're, if you're still active, he would have. <laughs> um, bait or barrier? A barrier. Uh, plugs or grout? Oh, grout. Flow meter or stopwatch? Yeah, flow meter. Uh, inside or outside first when inspecting? Uh, inside. Uh, inside first when inspecting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change this question. Subfloor first or last when inspecting? Um, last. Last. Uh, gee, you're doing reverse, don't you? Backpack yeah. or bulk tank? Uh, bulk tank. Uh, clockwise or anti-clockwise when inspecting? Uh, put down here, does it matter? <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, rapid or Weimark? Uh, rapid. Uh, domestic or commercial work? Commercial. Yeah, well, I put down. I, okay. I actually like domestic work better than commercial work. Yep. Um, I think it's kind of more nourishing for the technicians. And I say when I say nourishing, like nourishing. commercial work, pretty monotonous. You know, whereas I'm gonna, domestic. I'm, I'm going to use that next that word next podcast. Yeah. Nikki, Thanks. nourishing. No, thanks, David. <laughs> no, they, they, nourishing, you know, the technician can go there. They can get a result. You know, they kind of get to meet someone. You know, they're usually the people are sort of thankful that they've been there. They. You know, they feel appreciated, whereas commercial work, yeah, you don't often get that. Nah, they're always too busy, under the pump, stressed, yeah. or they're not there. Yeah. 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 Uh, post-construction or pre-construction termite work? Uh, post-construction. Uh, general pest or termite work? Well, I'll put you termites. Uh, Regal or B&G? Uh, B&G. Do you call it a donger or a tapper? Oh, it's definitely a donger. Uh, Garrard's Globe or AgServe? We go all three probably evenly split. Okay. Uh, and for the final question, you call it an amphipod or a lawn prawn? Well, I'm going to have to, you know, channel my inner bogan here and say a lawn prawn. <laughs> oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous, David. <laughs> I, just, I just got a couple more questions. When did you start growing your beard? Um, He's fascinated was, with your beard, David. Oh, it's impressive. <laughs> Well, probably uh, it's probably only about four years in, but it was kind of I I, I, I uh, stopped maintaining it uh, through COVID um, for obvious reasons. We're locked down here for God knows how yeah. long, and barbers were put out of business. But uh, yeah, I'm still surprised how you got a mask over it when you had to go out. Well, that's it. <laughs> it doesn't work. I'm not sure all. It's all that effective what I did, but yeah. uh, I thought Vasily was going to grow one just as long, but no, he's he's taken it off. He's yeah, well, he's we, got yeah. long. What, at one point, not not as long as yours. Well, he, when he did have a long one, we, we we sort of looked like two men of the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, any plans to lose a bit in the in the near future? Um, yeah, there is a there is a plan. I, I think it's got oh. the makings and the, the long hair. There's probably the makings of a really good mullet and mustache. In that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine the mustache. Oh, oh, mate, you're going to have to do it for a good cause or a charity or something. You have to. I think I think so. If there's money there, it might happen. Yeah. Um, uh, any closing words, David? No. Um, you know, it's been enjoyable. Words of wisdom, advice for the industry, advice for me. Um, <laughs> I think the industry is kind of, you know, very healthy. Um, I think the acquisitions, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, they're healthy. Um I think, you know, largely the the even though we all kind of you know complain a little bit about the competition that's entering the market, I think largely it's it's um, you know doing the right thing, and certainly the, the the ones that aren't will fall away. But I think you know it's 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 um, 
the industry's maturing and it's it's very healthy good uh well thank you david i really really appreciate it and for someone who said they're not that exciting you certainly have plenty to say uh, all right. <laughs> poor david <laughs> all right, well, hope you'll uh, uh you'll you'll make time for your next appointment <laughs> no, all good. Uh, and Nikki, you got any closing words, darling? Um, just thank you again, David. Um, I actually learned quite a bit because I didn't know a lot about your business. I, you know, I've had heaps of conversations with you, but we've never really spoke about your business. So, yeah, I, I mean, got quite a bit out of it. We all sort of know about you know David Gaze, the the Atma president, and I knew a little bit about David, obviously, because I just knew him as you used to have a man crush on him. Yeah, I fanboyed him a bit <laughs> in my early days, <laughs> and then I fanboyed him even more when I saw his beard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so, right now, really, look, right. thanks, thanks, David. I actually really enjoyed this one. Um, right. yep. And listeners, I hope you got something out of this too. And uh, we'll catch you guys on another episode of Pesty Profiles. Mm-hmm.